I'm Josh Allen Friedman. This is Tales of My Dead Heroes. In Episode 7, we visit one of the most divine madmen I ever had the pleasure of meeting. A gallant gent who strummed a ukulele, sang in a high falsetto, and swooned over beautiful women in a Busby Berkeley dream world of his own making. He hit it big in 1968 when he became a fad. But only in the 1960s was there such freedom that all styles of music were represented on radio's Top 40. Tiny Tim's career epitomized the great American showbiz story, the triumph of desire over talent. Born in 1932, he set out around 1950 performing in his freakish falsetto voice at dance club amateur nights and talent shows under numerous stage names. Texarkana Tex, Judas K. Foxlove, Emmett Swink, Darry Dover, Sir Timothy Timms. With stringy shoulder-length hair, In the age of the crew cut and pasty white makeup, his 8x10 publicity photos ended up in the trash can of every press agent and booker in New York. Then he'd take another name. In 1959, he became Larry Love, the singing canary, performing in the basement of Hubert's Museum and Flea Circus on 42nd Street for 50 bucks a week. The absolute pits of show business. If you pray, you'll get to heaven. If you have 50 cents, you'll get in here. It is showtime in Hubert Museum, an all-live show. Come on in. His own mother tried to drag him to Bellevue Hospital's psychiatric ward. But then, in 1968, after years of rejection, lightning struck. He was booked as a joke on Rowan and Martin's hit TV show Laugh-In, singing a medley of Good Ship Lollipop, and tiptoe through the tulips, before the dumbfounded hosts. But his first album, God Bless Tiny Tim, was released, and his single, Tiptoe Through the Tulips, a number one hit in 1929, became a big hit in 1968. next year, he married his teenage wife, Miss Vicky, on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson before 40 million viewers. But then, a few years later, he was back in obscurity playing the Holiday Inn circuit, forever seeking a return to glory. Tiny Tim was the great American fad, riding high in April and shot down in May. But Tiny Tim was not a joke. He was absolutely genuine with a lifelong passion for early 20th century popular music. Who knows Henry Burr or Irving Kaufman or Arthur Collins or Dan Quinn today? Well, they were portly singing stars to young people before they were called teenagers. In 1905, they recorded Edison discs, the precursors to shellac and vinyl records. Teenagers came by horse and buggy to hear them sing in concert halls. Tiny was a musicologist of this whole era. A divine madman, Tiny Tim lived in his own bubble 
with angelic girls dancing in the clouds while 1920s Broadway lullabies played on harps. There was no S-E-X involved, as Tiny said, refusing to even utter the word. Our conversation here took place at the offices of We Magazine in 1983. Back in 1963, he became a favorite at Page 3, a Greenwich Village lesbian club, because he looked and sang with his ukulele like a parody of a man. It was there that he first gave out a trophy to the most beautiful woman he laid eyes on each year. He continued this tradition for the rest of his life. 1963, I was working at a place called the Page 3 in the village mm-hmm. on 7th Avenue South where the girls liked each other. Mm-hmm. I was one of their confidants and one of the few men who worked there. Uh, I went to their parties and it's always one who's beautiful. My very first trophy, I got across the street at the arcade. $200. No, nothing. You go to all expenses. It's That's a right. serious uh, you, thing. Absolutely. To you, it's... I tell you, you may not like these girls, and a lot of people might say, ah, what are you doing? But they fit in my dream world. Was 1960 the first 63. trophy? Who, who won? A, a girl named Miss Snooky. She was eight. She was 18, 19 years old. Uh, she, she, she was a lesbian. Uh, she lesbian. might have gone both ways. Uh-huh. But and hard and tough. 18, 19 Whoa. years old. But, in fact, Warren Beatty, here's a scoop. She told me, and I know Mr. Beatty, but she told me Mr. Beatty came to one of the bars she was at when the time Splendor in the Grass was popular uh, around that time, and he saw her and he fell for her, and she wouldn't give him a tumble. Poor Warren Beatty. He struck out with Miss Snooky. I don't know where she is now. To me, she, if I saw her, she had her all her teeth out now. You'd she, thank God she was beautiful, praise the Lord. She was divine. And when she got that trophy, when she came, I said, Miss Snooky, this is for you. It's a lovely white trophy with uh, engraved to the queen. Did she love it? Oh, loved it. She said she lost it. In the middle of 64, she said she lost it. She wanted another one. Tell, t- too bad. She's got to win again. She's <laughs> no, they, they can only win in one year. The rules are I must meet them January 1st to December 31st like a new model Ford. Tiny never declared the trophy winner until New Year's Day, just in case he spotted some girl even more beautiful two minutes before midnight. See, I never give the trophy out. I never tell them they're getting it until January 1st, because December 31st, two minutes before midnight, you may someone change. may walk in. What year did Tuesday Weld win? She's my no, favorite. She never won a trophy. Never I, never a trophy? Gave, I never saw Tuesday Weld in person until 1919... Uh, 68, Warren Beatty introduced her, ironically, Mr. Beatty. She was at the height of her powers. Then. Yeah, but I, she was married and that eliminated her. Okay. I wish I would have seen her when she was 18 years old, oh. back in, when I was crazy about her in 1960. Oh. Okay, this is a very pure thing, it's not... Absolutely, there's no SEX involved. Tiny was reluctant to say who might win this year, but we're talking here on the day of December 29th, 1983. He'd know in a matter of hours. This year I got... Three girls in the running. It's very rarely a tie, but this one may be a tie. Now, these are just girls that you have met along Uh, the great road, along the road this year. Only this year. They're not necessarily media people or models or professionals. Absolutely not. They're just girls. That's right. In 1969, he gave the trophy to the girl he would then marry on The Tonight Show. Now, in 1969, I gave... Uh, a trophy out to Miss Vicky, and that's when the press covered it 
in Pennsylvania. Was she the all-time? Would she no. still be the all-time? The all-time trophy winner was last year. Who was well, the who was only her? woman I've ever loved? And Miss Vicky knows that she got married again more than any other woman in the world. Now, yesterday, or tomorrow. What's her name? I even wrote a song for it. It's on this album. It was performed at the Sydney Opera House. It's called Forever Miss Dixie. Huh. Now, oh, this girl is 25 years old. Well, her husband died in an atomic plant. You might have read about it in the paper in 78 in West Virginia when 51 construction workers fell 170 feet down into a water cooler. And her husband was one of them. And she was 19 at the time, so she settled for half a million dollars. I couldn't marry her because she gets 3000 a month, 1500 from her interest, and 1500 from the workman's compensation. So if she marries again, I can't uh, replace that amount, you see? So, but I wanted her more than any other woman I've ever met. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I had to have her outside of marriage. Well, look, we, we fall sometimes, oh, like you say. this one here I call the Mary Magdalene of this century, where I'm wow. Sweet and lovely Sweeter than the roses in May Sweet and lovely Heaven must have sent her my way Are you still in touch with her? No, bitter. She lives in Naples, uh. Florida. She's bitterly angry. I know nothing about me now. Huh. Oh, Miss Dixie. This is uh, the most, to you, the most desirable woman in the world. The most beautiful woman I've ever met. You can take them all. You know, in death, if, uh, if, you know, if I get to heaven, that's the only one I want. Tiny's love for Miss Dixie came crashing down in rejection. At the same time, Andy Gibb, the younger brother of the Bee Gees, was himself rejected by actress Victoria Principal. Tiny saw this as a parallel to his own suffering. Uh, I fell for Andy Gibb when he broke up with Victoria Principal and he lost his show Solid Gold because of her because he went through a period and he couldn't exist you know and you know my mother's Jewish my father's Catholic I just believe in Jesus Christ his blessing and I felt for him because oh. when I had my fights with Miss Dixie and I was going through torture trying to make up with her mm -hmm. he was crazy over Victoria Principal and she dumped him who's in your all time well known to just roll around in heaven but, with her? Of course, Elizabeth Taylor, when she was 15. No rules, no, no right. holds barred. This is the all-time heavenly woman. Mm -hmm. But with her and Miss Dixie, it would be tough. Okay, well, be, that, but I, I, Right now, I found Miss Dixie because I know Miss Dixie. But, I, but I've never met Cheryl Teagues. But in pictures, Cheryl Teagues is the most beautiful photographed face in the world. She can look good in up, look, with her head up, with her head down, to the side, any side, with her mouth closed. If, if I did have an affair with her, I, I would feel very bad. Uh, God's punishment would be on me. And secondly, I would mar a beautiful diamond, because I do believe it belongs only in marriage, okay. for the glory of God and for kids. Uh, uh, so, but the thing is, I wrote a song for her, which hit the New York Post. Don't ever leave your husband, Cheryl T. This is a Western song. Or I'll be out to get you, yes indeed. I've yearned for one like you all my life. And I know that you would be my perfect life. <laughs> and that's only the first verse. And then I wrote a song for Morgan Fairchild. Um, 
And uh, she was very angry. Her publicity director was very angry at me. But I wrote a song for her. I read in a scandal sheet a couple of months ago that she only eats, takes three bites a day of food. I said, what a great idea for me to reduce. If I only could take three bites of an apple. So I wrote a song called Thank You, Morgan Fairchild, for helping me reduce. Uh, I, I mean, thank you, Morgan Fairchild. You taught me how to eat three bites a day of food. And now I'm feeling sweet. <laughs> and I sang this to the British press you know, before they went in to see her. If I mention one more, uh, this song was on the air. This song was the biggest song that I had in Australia in August. It was done on the biggest show, the Don Lane show in in Australia, and she was there when I sang it. Koo Stark, the one uh -huh. without Prince Andrew, uh, and it went something like this: If I had a girl like Koo Stark, brother. I would never pine. I'd love her so much every day. Prince Andrew would be sorry he let her get away. For every kiss she'd give me, I'd give her 20 back. For her, I'd even diet and give up all my snacks. If I had a girl like Cool Stark Brother, I'd simply go coo 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 all the time. <laughs> go on and on and on. What was her reaction to that? She left town. <laughs> so help me, not even a reply. She's in my dreams, awake or sleeping. Upon my knees, to her I'm creeping. My very life is in her keeping. I'm just a prisoner of love. Tiny, of course, idolized Bing Crosby, the top recording star of the 1930s, and Rudy Valley, the top star of the 1920s. I know, I just felt Bing Crosby's spirit, everything was Bing Crosby. I wanted to sound like him in the worst way. I mean, the early Bing. Oh, please, lend your little ear to my plea. Anyway, in Palm Springs, I met Kathy Crosby, real class woman. It's amazing. She said, oh, Tiny, Bing always remembers you, she said, and he got a great laugh out of you which was a thrill to hear. Mm. He was definitely the John McCormick, the Caruso of popular songs of that period of time. And most people don't remember that because we had a depression, we didn't have LPs, we didn't have 45s, we ha and people couldn't buy records at the time. Columbia Records was going under at the time, we're talking about 33. Uh, and so um, she said, I didn't even know these records. And I sang, the, there's a cabin in the cotton, far away but not forgotten. And in every recollection, that's where my affection strays. And she was amazed. Keep in mind that Tiny's appearances with Bing Crosby or Rudy Valley were at the height of the 60s when the generation gap was wide. Tiny must have been a total mindfuck to both of them. In 1968, uh, I was supposed to be in a Hollywood Palace show with him. A rumors are he had to cancel out <laughs> when he heard this. But I said, well, I'm not going to be on the show unless he's there. So we finally decided to do it. Now, during rehearsal, he says, I want to introduce the man who uh, made tulips a household word. <laughs> you know, this is during rehearsal now. It's in December of 1968 in Hollywood. Tiny Tim, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sing a song from my old movies, and you sing one from the same period. Now, of course, you know, he was about 72 at the time, so his voice was as it was then. 
I went into, oh, please, lend your little ear to my please. I just looked at his face, and there was no emotion. He said, give that boy a bunch of Snickers. You want to heat up a conversation with Tiny Tim, really get him going? Just mention Russ Colombo. Colombo was a handsome young crooner who invented the style, but was tragically killed at age 26 in 1934, leaving Bing Crosby to become the reigning singing star of the age. The controversy, forgotten by all but Tiny Tim, was whether Bing really did rip off Columbo's whole style. How about the guy who died in 1932 or three? Um, you hit it. Russ uh, Columbo. Ru- Russ Columbo. I uh, think in that What hit. would have happened to him if he had lived? Uh, what? You hit, this is getting so hot now. You've hit something. That you, Russ Columbo passed away accidentally in California. He was about 26, 27 years old. An exceptionally good-looking man. I'm the only one who's telling you this. This is my opinion. But I've heard all these records. Russ Colombo did not sound like Bing Crosby. Russ Colombo had, in his day, he was the pre-runner to a modern-day 40s style. But in my opinion, I make a lot of people mad, but that's the way I feel. I feel Frank Sinatra, Jerry Vale, Don Cornell, Alan Dale, and Jack Leonard, who first started with Tommy Dorsey's orchestra, the early Jack Leonard, about 35, just a year after Mr. Colombo died, they all, Mr. Colombo had a modern-day sound before his time. You don't think Bing Crosby ripped him off? Or no You don't way. agree with that theory? No they both had different voices. Crosby, for instance, when Crosby sang, Where the blue of the night meets the gold of the day, someone waits for me, a really rough, rough throat. Now, Columbus sang the same song like this. Well, the blue of the night meets the gold of the day. Someone waits for me. His voice was very smooth. And he was had he the first one to the first one in. No one ever brought He was an innovator. Out. I'm the first one to tell you this. Believe me, there was no one in his day. He was the first modern-day 40 singer ahead of his time. Tiny finally did record a Russ Colombo tribute album called Prisoner of Love in 1995. I played two cuts from that, which you heard a few minutes ago. Like Bing Crosby, Rudy Valley was thrown off balance by the likes of Tiny Tim also. Amazingly, Rudy Valley called Tiny, asking to join Tiny on the bill at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami. But Tiny's manager said no. The 1920s romantic singer, who sang through a megaphone before microphones, was telling blue jokes in the 1960s. Let's face it, Mr. Valley knows much about me, like Joe Smith. All he knows about, you know, the high voice and blah, blah, blah. He's a great uh, hero of yours, though, isn't he? He sure is. And one, one of the many great stars. I liked him all from Byron G. Harlan, who was Thomas Edison's favorite star in 1904, to, from Jolson to Crosby to Valley. Did you meet Valley the first time through Joe Franklin? No, I met him in 68 uh, in uh, his house okay. in Hollywood. He was angry at me. In, in the end of 68, he called me up, uh, I was hot then, from Hollywood to the Fountain Blue where I was working. And he wanted to appear in the same bill with me, uh, which I thought was great. Here's a great Rudy Valley wanting to be with me. But if, unfortunately, no, he. You know, his voice is not what it used to be. And uh, at the time, my manager didn't want to put him on because he felt the image was bad. Uh, he was telling blue jokes at the time. And I, and I should have stuck up. I said, I don't care what you think. I said, I want him on the bill with me. 
But when he came to Joe Franklin show, he was still putting up faces. He was very nice to me. And he was sitting next to me. I'll never forget this. And he was saying, I don't want to hear nothing about the old times. I'm living for now. And I said, well, gee, I don't want to get Mr. Valley angry. I'm sitting on the next day. But I said, I can't forget those old times. Because I really, I still do. I think Mr. Valley was one of the greatest romantic singers. I have his records. I used to put the lights out and listen to him and think of a dream world of women. And I went into a song of my ukulele with the voice that Valley had when he was young. I'm still caring, I'm still daring for golden dreams that you and I want to you. And I sang that song because Valley wrote part of it. I opened my eyes halfway to the song. He had his eyes closed. I know the spirit flowed right then and there, and he heard himself there, and he was shocked that it was coming out of here. Because right after that, he couldn't look at me no more. I mean, he didn't say nothing at all throughout the whole show. And he still holds a grudge uh, to this day, which I'm very, very sorry for. And I tell you, that if I ever make it big again, if he wants to do it, nothing's going to stand in my way. Now, I know what you're thinking. We've heard about Bing Crosby. We've heard about Rudy Valley. But what about Al Jolson versus Eddie Cantor? I would love to record the same orchestration. The same engineer who knows how to balance this blend. There are so many engineers who don't know how to do it because the finished product doesn't come out right. But the engineer who knows how to get the same sound of Russ Colombo's great hits, the same orchestrations for Rudy Valley's, the same orchestrations, believe it or not, for Eddie Cantor, who I thought was a better recording star than Jolson. Dolson was a, probably the greatest vaudeville performer in the history of show business. Did you ever see him when you were a kid? No. But the thing is, uh, Eddie Cantor had a great recording sound, uh, especially on records in 1919, uh, when he sang, uh, When they're old enough to know better, it's better to leave them alone. Though they act like little babies or two, Take it from me, they can take it from you. Never say too much in a letter, or tell all you know on the phone. Once a girl told me she was 24, I know she lost her husband in the Civil War. When they're old enough to know better, it's better to leave them alone. I bet you don't remember this sensation of the World War I era. Irving Kaufman. Well, the spirit, let's say, of Irving Kaufman. Now, here is a fantastic talking of idols. Thomas Edison discovered him in 1911. I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Kaufman at 80 years old at his house in Rancho Mirage when I was hot in Hollywood in 68. When you look at the clothes they wear, masculine women, feminine men, which is the rooster, which is the hen, it's hard to tell them apart today and say... Sister is busy learning to shave, brother just loves his permanent wave. It's hard to tell them apart today. Hey, hey, girls were girls and boys were boys when I was a top. Now we don't know who is who. This man never needed a microphone. Thomas Edison discovered him in 1911. Victor, he was on Victor Records before Al Jolson. And... He made Peg of My Heart famous as well as thousands of other songs. The Pagan Love Song, which she sang in 1927, 
when Talkies came in was his last big hit. Now, when I met him, uh, I said, Mr. Kaufman, I wish I had half the voice you But I, want, I did a song for him, which he did in 22, 1922, written by the late James Hanley, who wrote Rose of Washington Square, in front of him, with the KHJ came down to cover the press. Stay home, little girl, stay home. Don't roam, little girl, don't roam. The one who would lure you from those you love so will take you and fool you and then let you go. Oh, girl. What was his reaction to that? Was he started to cry? Who here even considers what teenagers listened to in the year 1900? Teenagers didn't exist then, right? Well, Tiny knows better. You assume, you're supposed yeah, to assume that there was no such thing as being a teenager till Elvis Presley. They didn't even have the word teenager. But Ragtime, I compare Ragtime, it was the first commercial phonographic teenage revolution in 1907. Because the parents couldn't stand Ragtime. And the teenagers loved it, and it lasted till 1915. Uh, the Alexander's Ragtime Band is compared to Rock Around the Clock because it put ragtime on the map. Do you see it as the first popular teenage music in the United States? That we know before, after the, after the 1800s, after the 1890s, the teenagers, there was the first revolution because it was a, the parents were saying at that time, why don't we go back to the old songs, like By the Light of the Silvery Moon and I Love You Truly, what's happening to our generation? Because I mean, you'd move to ragtime, it was a, it was a, you gesture and move, and there, and each little step throughout history was moving a little more, more gyration, sensualities. That's right. There's a lot of sensualities to ragtime, yeah. more than we <coughs> we read about. Finally, imagine if there was a sudden Byron G. Harlan revival. I would love to do an album of Byron G. Harlan, who in 1902 was Thomas Edison's favorite singer on the one side of Columbia Records. Uh, uh, and one side of Victor. It sounds something like this. Every ship will find a harbor, every bird a nest. Every ship will find a harbor, and a love will find one too. Byron G. Harlan, Edison Record, 3454. You've had to go through your whole life carrying, being a, uh, having the subject almost to yourself. That's, that's so well and how lonely can that you know this is such an enormous era in history that's totally forgotten and unknown Tiny Tim took at least three baths a day even though he wore old carnival barker suits and carried his ukulele in a shopping bag wherever he went he addressed everyone formally as Mr. or Mrs. and didn't believe in S.E.X. until marriage for the glory of God and for kids but he looked down on no one and befriended prostitutes and strippers in his last years. Platonic but romantic in a Victorian But every one is a character and a creation of God's grace. There is not one life that is unvaluable to him, whether it's the ironically squatter in the Philippines or John D. Rockefeller. Uh, only man looks at the prestige, but every life is a dot in God's record book. Even the kid I lost who was only five months old uh, in Texas in 1970, may I rest in peace, I buried in a coffin. You know, they want to throw it away, so that's still alive. So every record... Is that uh, 
Miss Tillip is my second kid, but, but I lost a kid. Uh, uh, she was, he was a bit of a boy, like five months uh, in May of 1970 in Houston, Texas, which Vicky was rushed to the hospital. She had a portage. And they wanted to throw the body away. I said, never mind, I want a casket when for When she it. was five months yeah. pregnant. And we buried her in Houston, Texas. And they asked, what name do you want to call it? I just said, name it It. And that, somewhere in Texas, It was born to Mr. and Mrs. Herbert Corey. That's actually somewhere in Texas in a grave, in the children's grave. And I said, if I ever get to heaven, maybe it will open the door for us. Here at the office of We Magazine on December 29, 1983, it's coming down to the final hours for who would win his most beautiful girl in the world trophy for that year. There are three in the running right now. One's name is Diane Devine. The other is Miss Jan Allweiss. And the third is a girl named Susie Q. Vega. Just friends, lovers no more. Just friends, but not like before. To think of what we've been And not to kiss again Seems like pretending I never found out the outcome, but the next day when he would declare the winner, odds were maybe 50-50 that Miss Devine, Miss Allweiss, or Miss Vega would immediately leave town. Tiny Tim died in 1996 while singing Tiptoe Through the Tulips, his last number on stage during a benefit for the Women's Club of Minneapolis. This is Josh Allen Friedman with Tales of My Dead Heroes. Visit our website at blackcracker.fm for a recommended playlist and photos. I'll see you next time. Sacred vow, what are 